Today we're going to start our discussion of biological macromolecules, and the first macromolecule we're going to discuss, the first category, is polysaccharides. In polysaccharides, the monomers are sugars, and the most common sugar is glucose, sometimes also called dextrose. Let's look at the structure of this hexose. A hexose is a sugar with six carbon atoms. Note the functional groups here. A carbonyl, which can be an aldehyde or a ketone, here is an aldehyde, and a bunch of hydroxyls. Is it hydrophilic or hydrophobic? It's very hydrophilic, given all the possibilities for hydrogen bonding to all those hydroxyls and also the carbonyl group. So it's very soluble in water, like sucrose, table sugar. Note the numbering system, so we can talk about the various carbons in the chain. Numbering in organic compounds usually begins with the carbon that has the least number of hydrogens attached to it. Sugars are carbohydrates that have the general formula of CnH2NON. The term really just refers to carbon compounds with many hydroxyls and the carbonyl group. Now compare the diagram drawn here with that in the middle of the glucose handout, which we're going to use extensively now, to note some of the organic chemistry shorthand. Since carbon is so common in organic compounds and always takes four bonds, we can simply leave it out with the understanding that a carbon atom is present at the vertex of two or more bonds. Similarly, we can adopt the convention of leaving out the hydrogens, which form only a single bond. Thus, a bond line with nothing appended to it means there is a hydrogen there. In three-dimensional space, a hexose chain can easily curl up such that the oxygen attached to carbon-5 can be juxtaposed next to carbon-1 as you can see in the glucose handout diagram. A six-membered ring forms preferentially in water by the attack of the hydroxyl of carbon-5 on the carbonyl double bond at carbon-1. One bond of the carbonyl double bond opens up and forms a new bond between carbon-1 and the oxygen of carbon-5. The hydrogen leaves carbon-5 and a new hydroxyl group is formed on carbon-1. So a six-membered ring is formed with O, oxygen, as one of its members, one of the vertices. One carbon, carbon-6, is left sticking out away from the ring. Unlike most biochemical reactions, which require a catalyst to help them take place at a reasonable rate, more on this in a week or so, this intramolecular cyclization reaction takes place all on its own as soon as a sugar is put into water or aqueous solution. The ring structure can also open up, reforming the straight chain. The two forms are in a dynamic equilibrium but because the ring form is more stable, this species predominates in water. Now, when the oxygen of carbon-5 approaches the C1 
carbonyl double bond, it can do so from one side or the other. Depending on which side is attacked, the resulting ring comes out looking different in three-dimensional space. That is, the resulting ring can be of two different conformations in space. The two conformations are formed at about equal frequencies. The two conformations are called alpha and beta. Alpha, where the C1 hydroxyl that is formed ends up on the same side of the ring as the hydroxyl of C2, as you can see in the glucose handout, or beta, where the C1 hydroxyl that is formed ends up on the opposite side of the ring from the hydroxyl of carbon-2. See the glucose handout on the right side, bottom. You can also see a picture in the Purvis text, figure 3.10a. In sugars, carbonyl carbons that can switch the side of their hydroxyl group when cyclized are called anomeric carbons, and the two resulting sugars, alpha and beta forms, are called anomers. See your text for more pictures and more sugars. The ring is not actually flat, but puckered into a reclining chair-like shape, but that's hard to draw. You can refer to the flat versus puckered handout to look at this in more detail. In this chair view, the hydrogens and the hydroxyls can be seen not to be really up or down, but rather either axial, that is vertical, sticking up or down, or equatorial, horizontal, sticking out, as you can see on the left side of the glucose handout. Note in glucose, all the hydroxyls are equatorial, except that of the number one carbon in the alpha conformation. In beta-glucose, this hydroxyl is upper relative to the hydrogen and equatorial. In alpha-glucose, it is lower relative to the hydrogen and axial. These conformations in space have important consequences, as we shall now see when we consider the polysaccharides formed by these glucose monomers. As we consider a polymer built from glucose monomers, we can first consider a dimer. Two glucose monomers can be connected to form a dimer. This connection, which does not happen by itself, that is, without some help from a catalyst, involves a dehydration, the removal of one molecule of water from the two monomers. This type of reaction is also referred to as a condensation, as it condenses two molecules into one. The resulting COC bond is called a glycosidic bond when it's connecting two sugars. Conversely, the breakdown of polymers back to their constituent monomers involves reversal of this chemistry, the addition of water, or hydrolysis. The products would be called a hydrolysate. Both of these reactions require different catalysts in the cell in order to occur. 
which is generally true for all the biochemical reactions we'll discuss. See the carbohydrates handout below the line for a depiction of two dimers in the flat ring form. Note the 1,4 linkage. C6 sticks out of the ring, so that's one way to figure out the numbering in the ring. Although the bonds are presented as bent at right angles, they are not really so. It's just a way of presenting both sugar monomers right side up and still connect them with a glycosidic bond. There are several different hexoses in most cells. Fructose, galactose, and mannose are some common ones. Here you can refer to the carbohydrates handout at the top. Differences lie in the positions of the carbonyl along the chain and the relative positions of the hydroxyls in space. Fructose has a ketone carbonyl at carbon 2, and it cyclizes to form a five-membered ring, still with one member being ox oxygen, of course, so two carbons stick out from the ring. And there are several common disaccharides. See Becker, page 64, for more. For instance, glucose connected to glucose via a 1 to 4 alpha linkage is maltose, where alpha refers to the state of the hydroxyl in the monomer joined at its C1 carbon. Maltose is formed as you digest bread. Glucose plus galactose via a 1,4 beta link is lactose a sugar found in milk. Glucose plus fructose via a 1,2 alpha-alpha link is sucrose, which is table sugar. But these are not yet polymers or macromolecules. These dehydrations can continue in many cases in a repeated way to form chains that contain thousands of monomers. One polyglucose of this type is cellulose, which contains exclusively glucose molecules in beta linkages. The beta linkage has a pretty straight connection between carbon-1 and the carbon-4 of the adjoining carbon atoms, since they both are equatorial and so are sticking out. Thus, a cellulose chain extends straight with its C6-hydroxyl sticking out from the chain on either side. Many cellulose molecules can then associate side by side via hydrogen bonds to each other to form a fiber of great strength, for example in cotton. It also contributes to the rigidity of wood. Cellulose is the most abundant carbon compound in the biosphere. It accounts for about half of all such carbon. If glucose molecules are put together with an alpha-1,4 link instead of beta, then a polymer of a different shape results. Here, the carbon-1 hydroxyl is axial, where the 
whereas the C4 hydroxyl in glucose is, it always is, equatorial. The angle of this alpha-1,4 bond is such that the polymer bends at each glycosidic connecting bond. As a result, it takes on a helical shape that again allows a lot of hydrogen bonding between the glucose in each turn of the helix, thus stabilizing the polymer in this shape. Such is the case with starch, which consists of alpha-glucose molecules joined in 1,4 linkages. In addition, starch has branches made by linking additional glucose molecules at the C6 hydroxyl of some of the glucose residues in the chain via an alpha-1,6 bond. The branch continues with alpha-1,4 linkages. See the Becker text, figure 324. The length and frequency of the side chains give rise to different forms of starch, such as found in potatoes versus corn, or of a starch-like polymer found in mammalian liver, glycogen. These polymers act as storage forms for glucose. When glucose is needed, they can be hydrolyzed, adding water back to the bond between the monomers to regenerate the free monomer. Here's our first good example of an important theme in biochemistry, the relationship between structure and function at the molecular level. The straight linear structure of cellulose, made possible by the beta linkages, allows the assembly of thousands of aligned molecules to produce a cellulose fiber of great tensile strength. The alpha linkage in starch produces a compact structure, not strong, which serves as a storehouse for glucose for energy when needed. Your texts have additional examples of important polysaccharides. Some of the sugars have nitrogen-containing groups appended to the basic carbohydrate ring. The rigid bacterial cell wall is another example, like cellulose, of a polysaccharide used for structural support. So is the shell or exoskeleton of insects, made of chitin. We'll now turn to our next macromolecule, lipids. This is a more heterogeneous group, being defined as substances in a cell that are extractable in organic solvents. Nonpolar compounds are not soluble in water, as they tend to coalesce, but they are soluble in nonpolar solvents, such as benzene, a hydrocarbon compound made up of just hydrogen and carbon atoms, like the octane molecule we considered earlier. So lipids are molecules that have extensive nonpolar regions. Steroids, such as cholesterol and testosterone, for example, have multiple hydrocarbon rings, as you can see here, and are in this category. <coughs> for more pictures, see uh, the Becker text, page 72, or in Purvis, figure 3.9. Note the drawing conventions here, with a further shorthand. The depiction, or rather the lack of depiction, of carbons and hydrogens. Carbon is assumed to always have four bonds, and, as mentioned earlier, are assumed to be present at the vertices of drawn bonds. Bonds from such carbons that are not shown are assumed to be hydrogen to always make a total of four. Almost no atoms are named in this picture of a steroid, 
yet the structure is completely defined. Steroids are small molecules that are not monomers that become connected to form polymers. Cholesterol is a component of the cell membrane, which we'll discuss in a few minutes. Steroids such as testosterone, estrogen, cortisone, and vitamin D are hormones, compounds that circulate in the blood to send signals from cells in one part of the body to cells in another region. You'll learn more about steroids in the physiolo physiology section in the second semester. A major class of lipids are the fatty acids, long, straight-chain hydrocarbons with a carboxyl group, a carboxylic acid, on one end, as shown here. Inside cells, fatty acids are usually connected to a molecule of the trihydroxy, trialcohol, compound glycerol. Once again, water is removed, this time producing an ester bond, an acid plus an alcohol dehydrated form an ester. Look at the top right corner of the lipids handout now. If all three hydroxyls on the glycerol are substituted with fatty acids, then we have a triglyceride. This is fat. You can also have mono or di-substituted glycerol. Fats differ according to the ex <coughs> excuse me. Fats differ according to the exact nature of the fatty acids that are present. Saturated fats have CH2 methylene groups, usually 18 to 20 of them along the chain. They are saturated with hydrogens compared to the unsaturated variety that may have a double bond or two within the chain and thus have less hydrogens unsaturated. The presence of the double bond puts a crimp into the structure. Unlike single carbon-carbon bonds, there's no rotation about a carbon-carbon double bond, so it's more difficult for the fatty acid molecules to associate. Thus, unsaturated fats with the double bonds are usually liquids, oils, while their saturated counterparts with no double bonds, aggregate into solid fat. Take vegetable oil, unsaturated, add hydrogen across the double bonds, and you get Crisco, or the creamy texture in peanut butter. Read the label. It's hydrogenated. So here again, as in the case of polysaccharides, the three-dimensional structure of the molecule has a lot to do with its physical properties. Fats are a good example of hydrophobic forces at work. Just think of a fatty chicken soup with those globules of fat floating on top, out of solution. Fats serve as a storage form of energy. That is, like glycogen or starch, fats can be broken down and used for energy metabolism, as we will see later. Fats are stored in cells called adipocytes. There's a special class of lipids that are related to the fats, but with a significant difference. These are the phospholipids, an example of which is shown in the middle of the lipids handout. Two of the glycerol hydroxyls are connected to long-chain fatty acids, 
but the third is connected to quite a different group, a phosphate. Phosphoric acid is an acid. The OH groups attached to the phosphorus easily lose hydrogens at neutral pH. It has three acidic hydrogens. If you're shaky on pH, try to review it in recitation section. The phosphate group is connected to a glycerol hydroxyl, again by a dehydration that forms an ester, acid plus alcohol. Whereas we had a carboxylic acid ester linking the fatty acid to the glycerol, here we have a phosphoester. In both cases, the ester is formed by an alcohol linked to an acid. After linkage, the phosphate group is still charged, as shown. The phosphate may be free, as in phosphatidic acid, or it may be esterified to yet another alcohol via another of its acidic groups. A common one is ethanol amine, OH, CH2, CH2, NH3+. The resulting phospholipid would be called phosphatidyl ethanolamine. Phosphatidyl ethanolamine is a compound that's highly, highly hydrophobic throughout most of the molecule, but then has a highly polar group at one end, with two complete, if opposite, charges. A further derivative has three methyl, or CH3, groups bonded to the nitrogen instead of hydrogens. This moiety is choline, trimethylethanolamine. The nitrogen retains its positive charge. When esterified to a diglyceride, one gets phosphatidylcholine. This is also depict depicted in, uh, for instance, Purvis text figure 3.6. The polar end can interact strongly with water. It's hydrophilic while the remainder of the molecule wants to come out of aqueous solution. This is a confused molecule. What happens is that the hydrophobic parts all line up with each other to minimize their interaction with water, while the charged ends remain in contact with water. It's in this way that a biological membrane is formed. As a phospholipid bilayer, the charged ends of the double layer being on the outside in contact with water with the cytoplasm on one side and the exterior of the cell on the other side. Such a bilayer presents a permeability barrier to water-soluble compounds which cannot pass through the hydrophobic barrier. Special structures are embedded in this membrane for allowing passage of water-soluble compounds in and out of the cell. These are the channels and pumps mentioned earlier. You can see pictures of some of these membranes in a cell, for instance in uh, figure 3.2 of the Purvis text. Large amounts of cholesterol are embedded in the membranes of animal cells. The cholesterol is kept inside by hydrophobic forces. It acts to plug spaces that could, all, that could otherwise cause leakiness, to impart more strength, and to prevent too much association of the saturated fatty acids at low temperature that is, a freezing of the membrane into fat. Another property of phospholipids is in emulsification. Lecithin, high in egg yolks, is the old name for phosphatidylcholine. It can be used as a way to break fat globules down to smaller physical units, but not breaking covalent bonds, by associating with the fat with its hydrophobic tails 
while leaving the polar groups on the outside to facilitate solubilization in water, for example, in the bloodstream. The texts have nice diagrams of all this. Uh, Becker, uh, for example, pages 25 and 26, and pages 180 and 181. Lipids are impressive in their variety, and especially in membrane formation, but admittedly they're not really good examples of the linear biopolymers that we defined. But they have to go somewhere, and so they're stuck amongst the macromolecules.